You can turn them to 1 John. 1 John is where we've been for many months now and many more weeks to come, it looks like. But um, we're in chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4. We started the series called For His Glory and For Our Benefit, and it really does glorify Him and it really does benefit us. And that's the ideal thing with Scripture and God in Christianity itself is that we get to do both. Every moment of our life that God calls us to do something, it glorifies Him. And every moment, it benefits our soul. I'm so grateful for that relationship. I hope you are too. Today's lesson is going to be called Abiding in God's Love. If my screen will catch up there. Abiding in God's Love. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 4, verses 12 to 16. Now again, we do have these Bibles in the back on the shelf back there. These black hard hardback Bibles back by Mr. Joel and if you guys don't have a Bible with you or you want to have a Bible and own a Bible and take it home that's why they're there and uh, we're going to be in page 961 of that Bible 1st John 4 if you want to use that Bible you can and you can even take it with you and otherwise we're going to be reading from the English Standard Version today abiding in God's love 1st John 4 verses 12 to 16 before we get there though what would you say are the, some of the most powerful forces in the world Think about that just for a moment. What are the most powerful forces in the world? Well, I'm going to give you a list of 15. 15 powerful forces in the world that I've encountered that I believe are really, really strong forces. Maybe you'll agree with me. And I'm just going to run through this list quick. They're jokes. So don't take these too serious. Let's start with a little icebreaker. Let's start with number one. One of the most powerful forces in the world, and Joel, you'll agree with me, onion breath. I've mentioned this to before to my wife. Onion breath is not a breath. It's an entity. <laughs> you might enjoy your onions. The rest of us do not enjoy your onions. That is a breath and an entity that is really hard to get rid of. Here's number two most powerful force in the world. The pain of stubbing your toe after a frustrating day. Isn't that true? You've already had a bad day and then you stub your toe or you step on a Lego. That pain is a different level kind of pain right there. How about this one, number three? Maybe this only happens to my family and families like me. The urgency to catch a child's vomit. <laughs> I know that's really gross and really specific, but I've seen my wife dive over a couch <laughs> with bowl in hand, tuck and roll, and catch it before it falls on the, on the carpet. It's amazing. And uh, come flu season, we'll, we'll have to bring those skills back out. Because you don't want to hit any of the furniture, right? Um, she's also done it in the car, which is even more amazing. How about this one? Number four, the desire to go back to sleep after your alarm goes off. How about that one? Okay, now, Josh Bodner, take care of that. There is a bug of pretty good size. What is that? It's a spider. Now, if you remember last week's lesson, flight or fight on spiders? We know Josh is a fight guy. Guys, that was a, that was a North Country spider. Normally I see a spider, I'm like, ah, I'm like, that was a big spider. Where was I? The desire to go back to sleep after your alarm goes off is a strong force, right? You wake up, it's time to get up, but you want more sleep, and that's a strong force. How about this one, number five, the urge to laugh during a very serious moment. You been there? A wedding, a funeral, something very serious. You're not supposed to laugh. It's wrong, you know it, but... That force, something makes you giggle. Uh, stomach growling, too, that also happens. That's, a, that's another annoying thing. How about this one? Number six, the sudden fear when the toilet starts to overflow. Who's been there? 
That's terrifying, absolutely terrifying. I feel like a ninja. I'm just trying to grab something to stop it from overflowing, but I don't know what to do. And that's a, that's a terrifying thing. Here's number seven, the heart palpitations you experience when your mother-in-law says she's coming for a visit. <laughs> I'm just teasing, Marianne, I love you. Come anytime. How about number eight, the desire for another piece of banana graham cracker pie or insert your favorite dessert, right? You eat the dessert, it, it tastes just like it should, and then you go, man, I want more. I want more of that. I shouldn't, but I'm going to. How about number nine, the guilt of breaking a promise to a four-year-old child? Don't do that. Yeah, that, that is enormous guilt. If you make a promise to a child, stick to it because that guilt is going to linger and linger. Don't break promises to children. Number 10, the panic attack you have when you send that mushy text message to your boss instead of your wife. <laughs> or landlord or friend or whomever. That's, that's super weird. I don't advise that. Make sure you know who you're texting. Number 11, force in the world, the temptation to road rage a bad driver from Massachusetts. Come on, let's see, let's see some hands out there. Josh is the honest one. We got a couple. We don't do it, right? But the temptation is there. Um, we're just teasing. We love Massachusetts. Really, we do. Number 12, the trepidation of walking out of a bedroom after the baby goes to sleep. Now, this, this is an enormous task for when you have small children and babies, when you put them to sleep, they're out cold, and you need to get out of that room. I'm telling you, creaks and cracks and squeaks, and the baby's going to wake up. It's, it's a terrifying thing. It's a really powerful force. Uh, number 13, the craving for meatballs. I have it a lot. It's a powerful force. I have it right now. I want meatballs. Can we somehow make that happen while I preach? The craving for meatballs is a strong force. How about number 14? The anticipation for summer to leave and fall to begin. Who's with me? I have that every year. In fact, I start a countdown in May. May 1st, countdown to fall. And right now I am anticipating some cooler weather and some colors. And number 15, maybe this applies right now. The deafening silence after you share a lame icebreaker. A little bit of that right now. Some powerful forces in the world. We're going to talk about one today. In fact, we're going to talk about the most powerful force in the world. It is the love of God and the desire to follow Jesus because of that great love. If you have your Bibles, join me in 1 John 4. We're going to read verses 12 to 16 today. I've encouraged you through this study to read 1 John once a week. I still encourage you to do that. It's been such a blessing for my soul. I'm getting to know 1 John forwards and backwards because of this practice. And I'm seeing all the themes pop out, and many of those themes all deal with the topic of love. If you're not making that a practice, please make that a practice once a week. Read 1 John. You can either have it read to you, or you can read it yourself. Please do it. Our verses today are 12 to 16. This is what the Word of God says. John says, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe that the love God has for us, God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Amen. 
We are going through a book. I want you to imagine yourself receiving this letter from John and getting the letter without the chapter divisions, without the verses, just the whole letter. And reading through that letter and then rereading through that letter several times because of the truth that is within those words. Well, that's what we're doing. We're reading through a letter called 1 John that was written to a sect of Christians. And we get that opportunity to pause and slowly digest every morsel of this book. But in doing so, we, we must keep it in context. We must remember where John has just taken us from. And so let's do that now. Let's remind ourselves of the verses we looked at last week as we talked about God's glorious pattern. It comes from 1 John 4, verses 7 to 11. John said, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That is the glorious pattern, and John's going to pick up where he left off reminding us of that glorious pattern today. We have a three-point outline we want to get to. Number one is God's indwelling of us. Number two is God's connection to us. And number three, God's expectation of us. We'll start here with God's indwelling of us. God's indwelling of us. Now, when I was little, my brother and I, maybe you guys did this as well, or maybe you still do this. We used to have these really deep theological discussions, Travis and I. If you could have a superpower, what would it be? Travis and I used to discuss that at length over our cereal. We used to debate which one was the best. Well, I decided to look this up, and it looks like they had, I don't know if you can read that, but there was a poll that they asked a bunch of Canadians this exact question. What superpower would you like to have if you could have any of them? Wow, I shouldn't have done that. Sorry about that. I might just have to read these. Okay, mine looks perfectly clear. Sorry about that. Let's go back and see if it catches. (laughs) See what I did there? Okay. Well, yeah, okay, now you can see it. I'm going to leave it alone. Let me just run through these really quick. 5.2% of people said super speed. Who says super speed would be the best superpower to have? I disagree. Fast? Maybe, maybe for certain activities, but I don't need to be fast. I don't run a lot. How about 5.9% said superhuman strength? Anyone want to have superhuman strength? Yes? No? 12.5% of people said invincibility. Can't get hurt. How about that one? Now that I'm in my 40s, I'll take that one. Yeah. Can't get hurt. I shouldn't be hurting my neck hanging a picture frame, right? I'll take that one. How about number 14.5% of people said flight. They'd like to fly. Who wants to fly? Yeah? Except when you run into things, right? Or bugs fly in your mouth. That's not going to be a good thing. Uh, 16.3% of people said invisibility. Where's our introverts? Invisibility. Just don't want to be seen? That's a superpower? Okay. 20% of people said psychic abilities. You want to know what's going on out there in the world? What's in people's minds? I don't either. Ignorance is bliss. No, thank you. And 25, the biggest one was time manipulation. Who wants to manipulate time? Pause it, rewind it, gain it, do it again. No one? I don't either. Once it's over, it's over. Uh, What would be yours? What would be your most important superpower? Well, I have a couple that that are probably tied for first. Number one, if I could have it, It'd be the ability to sleep anywhere. <laughs> Standing up, in the shower, not driving. We, we'll stop it there. But 
I would love the ability to sleep anyway. I don't have that ability. I need the ideal circumstance to sleep. I need the right bed, the right temperature in the room, the right pillow. My brother, he, he can sleep anywhere, can't he? Travis can sleep anywhere. I would love that superpower. Or have eight arms. You know, it would look a little weird, but I would be so productive with eight arms. The octopus man, um, now, that'd be a weird thing, right? I'd have to tuck those arms in so I didn't freak people out, but what would be your superpower if you could have a superpower? What was the thing you would want if you could have anything that you were lacking to do? What would that be? Well, we're gonna talk about something like that this morning. John's gonna bring up this enormous force, this power that is available to all people. He says in verse 12, no one has ever seen God. That's what we call a springboard statement. John is going to state this and use that as a springboard for what he's about to say. No one has ever seen God. That's true, isn't it? I've never seen God. I've never seen God's glory. I've never seen God eye to eye. So John is making a true statement there. Nobody has ever seen God. He says, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Now that is a verse to chew on. Nobody has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Have you ever experienced an upgrade? Well, most of you know that before I moved to New Hampshire, we lived in a part of the world called Pennsylvania, the northeast tip near Scranton, Pennsylvania. This is a picture of Scranton right here. Scranton is not a very beautiful town. Um, it's not. Uh, there's some beautiful hills around Scranton, but Scranton itself is not very pretty. But the White Mountains, that's a beautiful part of the world, right? We are surrounded now by the White Mountains. That is what you call an upgrade. I have upgraded dramatically <laughs> from Scranton to the North Country, as long as I see a moose. <laughs> but John says this, no one has ever seen God. And that's a true statement. That is a true statement. But he says, going on, if we love one another, God abides in us. And his love is perfected in us. You see the upgrade? I have never seen God. You have never seen God. I've never seen the glory of God. But John says, well, that's not the end of the story. Because if we love one another, God abides in us. The word abides can mean a couple different things. It can mean to remain. Or it can mean to dwell with. I think the second one is ideally, although both are included, is what John has in mind. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, there's a condition to this statement. That word's probably going to make us a little nervous. We'll explain that as we go. Because he says, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Two really powerful things take place based on that one condition that we love one another. And the word I really like besides condition is validation. I've been using this word. And John has been putting these validations all throughout the book saying, if this is true, then this is true, and he says it one more time. Now, another thing about this world, this universe that we live in, is it's, it's enormous, isn't it? It's enormous. It is so vast. If you've ever studied space, even for a moment, you realize how small you are, how small Earth is. There's a little arrow pointing to a dot in our galaxy called the Milky Way, and you can barely see it. I'm not sure you can see it. It's a small speck in one galaxy, and there are thousands and thousands of galaxies out there, and we are one speck in one galaxy, and we are one speck on that one speck. We are so small, this world is so big, and that makes us bow to God. It makes us worship God because he's so big, and sometimes we feel so insignificant, going, how could God love me? 
And this world we also live in is also breathtaking and beautiful. And we live in one of the best places in the world, I believe, where we get to see God's handiwork on display. And you wonder, why did God create us? Why are we a part of his plan? We are small. The world is vast. The universe is huge. The world is magnificently beautiful. And I am so small. But we need to remember that God made us differently than every other part of creation. We are the only one that has been made in his image. That sets us apart from all the rest of creation. We are beyond the universe. Our minds are more complex than the entire universe combined. That means God's most special handiwork has been put in his people. And that's something to marvel at. So John says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. If we love one another, we have two amazing truths. God lives in me, and his love is perfected in me because we love one another. Now, how do we make sense of that? Is John saying that we have to earn the love of God? Is that what he's saying? No, we've talked about this already. John is not saying we are earning anything. He's validating the fact that we have what we say we have or what we want to have. Because there are many people in this world who call themselves Christians, right? And what is the best evidence for God? What is the best evidence for God? If you're talking to someone who says there is no God, what is the response to that person? Well, I would say creation is one of the best defenses for God. Simply to look around and look at the vastness and the beauty and the complexity of the world around us. Now, this picture on the right is, do you guys know where that's from? Who knows where that's from? Switzerland. If I ever cheat on New Hampshire, it's with Switzerland. <laughs> The only place that can beckon me away from New Hampshire is Switzerland. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. I've never been. But there's beauty and vastness all around us. And God's creation sings this song to us, doesn't it? There's no way to look at God's creation and come to the conclusion that this all is happen chance. Or random. Or chaotic. Or some matter blew up in space. And here we have this beautiful, vast, complex universe around us. It's not possible. What about this? How do you know God loves you? How do you know that God loves you? God is so big, so mighty, so beautiful, so complex. And how do you know that he loves you specifically? That's a question a lot of people wrestle with. And I think it's an important question to ask. You guys remember that song from when you were little? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's true. We know the love of God because he states his love all over the scripture. But we know it even more than that, don't we? We know it because 2,000 years ago, Someone stepped off his throne in heaven and came to earth to die. To die. And he's called Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He came to give up his life, to yield up his life and all of his glory so that we could find a connection to God once again. I think the cross is one of the best examples of God's love, if not the best example of God's love. But it still doesn't answer the question, how do we know God loves me specifically? Sure, he loves the world, according to John 3.16. He loves the whole world, and I'm included in the world. But does God love me specifically? Does he love you specifically? Well, according to what John just told us, here's basically the equation of what he's saying. The best proof of God's indwelling in our souls and his perfect love in our lives is very simple. You know what it is? We just said it. It's not our church attendance. It's not that we claim to be Christians. John says... When we love one another. Isn't that interesting? 
The best proof that God lives in me and that his perfect love is given to me is that I love one another. Why would John say it that way? Isn't there a lot of better answers for that, John? The fact that I do something proves that God is real, dwells within me, and loves me specifically? He says this in verse 12, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. It comes right out of Scripture. That is chapter and verse. If we love one another, we know that God is with us. We know that God loves us. Now, if you read Scripture, Scripture is not a self-help book, is it? There are a lot of self-help books out there, a lot of self-help podcasts out there. Scripture is not one of them. Because self-help books flatter you. They tell you how great you are. They tell you how, many, how much potential you have. And the Word of God says things like this in Ephesians chapter 2. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. That's not very flattering, is it? It's not flattering to hear that I'm a sinner. It's not flattering to hear that I'm wicked. It's not flattering to hear that I'm dead in my sins. But the Scripture isn't here to flatter us, is it? It's here to tell us the truth. And that truth, according to Jesus, can set us free if we believe it. Now, if the period was there, and that's where Ephesians 2 ended, that's a very depressing thought to have. We were dead in our sins in which we once walked. But that's not where it ends, because Paul goes on to say this, a beautiful phrase, one of the best phrases in Scripture, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, Notice it. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Once dead in your sins, on a fast track to condemnation, and now, because of God's rich mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, we're alive. We can be alive in Jesus Christ today. All glory to God. And John is not bringing up the equation of how we gain that favor with God, we know, and John's already covered this, that that is simply through faith in Jesus Christ. John, again, is talking about how we know that we have it. There's a song that we sing from time to time here at our church, and it's the, one of the verses goes like this, you called my name, and I ran out of that grave. And that's symbolizing this truth from Ephesians chapter 2, that we were not badly off. We were not less than perfect. We were not even on spiritual life support. We were dead in our sins. Dead in our sins, lifeless, having no access to God, no purpose in this world, and then he called our name and we ran out of that grave because of his great glory, because of his great salvation through Jesus Christ. And now we can be alive and have life with God, a connection to God, and be adopted into his family. And this is what John is telling us. How do we validate that? How do we validate that we are alive? How do we validate the fact that God loves us and we're with God? And once again, he says, when we love one another. And I think what John is basically telling us is that's impossible for a dead person. Do you know that? The way that God has called us to love, not like the world does on occasion and when the stars align, and when God calls us to love like Jesus Christ, and then he tells it to people like us who were once dead in our sins. Now, if you ever tried to reason with a dead man, it doesn't go well, okay? Dead man can't be reasoned with. 
So we know that when God makes us alive and then gives us a commandment and we can respond to this commandment, something profound has taken place. If I can love one another as a pattern and theme of my life, John says it must be true that God dwells within you and his perfect love is given to you because that is not possible for anyone who's dead in their trespasses and sins. And I think that's a wonderful validation for us to find out today. We're not earning God's love. We are validating that God loves me and God loves you. He also says this in verse 13, by this we know, and I love that John puts it that way, not kind of know, we can know for certain that we abide in God and God in us because he has given us of his spirit. Now is John adding on there? Is John saying something new? Because he just told us it's because we love one another. And now he's saying, well, it's because we have his spirit. So which one is it? Well, it's both. Because what does the Spirit help us do? It helps us follow Jesus. And what is Jesus' greatest commandment given to us? Love one another. So what does the Spirit tell those who souls who are alive? Over and over and over. Again, through 1 John, through the Scriptures, through your own mind and your own spirit, He says to us on many occasions, love one another. That is my goal. That is my commandment for you. Don't just live this life. Don't just celebrate this life. Get out there and act like Jesus Christ. And John says, the way that you know you're of God is the fact that the Spirit guides you to love one another as a pattern and theme of your life. If that is not a message being sent to our brain and heart, then we do have something to question, whether we are Christians or not. Now, if you look this up on the Internet and you ask whomever which AI you want to choose, how many Christians are there in the United States? We've talked about this before, but there are a lot. It says Christianity is the most prevalent religion in the United States. Estimates, estimates from 2021 suggest that the entire U.S. population, 332 million people at that time, about 63% of them claim to be Christian. That is 200, 210 million Christ followers. Do you believe there are 210 million followers of Jesus in this country, 210 million souls who every day get up and their one desire is to love one another? Do you think that's true? Do you think that's even close to true? Don't you think the world would be in a better place if 210 million people are sacrificing their rights and their needs for the sake of other people? I don't think that's anywhere near how many Christians there are. So what do we have here? Well, we probably have a wrong stat, but I think something else is taking place here. We have a lower bar than Scripture does. Because in, in this world that we live in, all you have to do to be a Christian is claim to be a Christian. You wear a cross around your neck, you put a Jesus fish on your car, you go to a big church, you call yourself a Christian and no one will question it. Hardly anybody will question it. As long as you claim to be a Christian, you are a Christian. Is that good enough? Is that good enough to be a Christian? Well, not according to Scripture, it's not. We need a validation that transcends this world. We need something that no one can say, you manufactured that. There has to be something that we have in our souls, in our lives, that can only be described as divine, God-given, impossible for people to do without divine power residing within you. Once again, John says, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And that spirit helps us 
to love one another. And for the world, they can't do that as a practice and theme of their life. There's too much of them in the way. They don't even want to, really. But not only can we, we, we must as Christians because it validates to our soul and it glorifies God that we belong to Jesus Christ. And Josh just read it as part of the scripture reading. Jesus says, you will bear much fruit and everyone will know that you are my disciples when you bear this fruit. So he says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, Jesus says, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And we talked about the Holy Spirit. His agenda is very clear and very direct. It is to magnify Jesus and Jesus' words. The Spirit is very clear in what his purpose is. Remind them of Jesus. Bring to the remembrance what Jesus has said and what Jesus did over and over and over. That's how you know, that's how I know that I belong to God because I actually follow the glorious pattern of God, which is love one another. Isn't that important for us to know? I don't want to chalk that up to a coin toss on the last day going, I, I believe I'm of God because I've been around Christianity long enough. I've gone to church most of my life. I've read a lot of the Bible. I think God's going to just be okay with all of that and say you are a Christian based on that stuff. I don't want to do that. I don't want anyone I love to do that. I want you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you belong to God, he belongs to you, and his love is perfected in your life. And this is what John is bringing up. And it was God the Father who said this. He said this from heaven audibly. When Jesus was transfigured on the mountain, when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, he said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. The best way you know that you are a Christian, that you follow God and have God's power within you is that you line up behind Jesus Christ and you do what he did. If he said it, you obey it. And I believe that's a beautiful validation John is giving to us. So as far as this indwelling goes, we have the spirit of God living within us when we trust in Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have received from God, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. And those who have been purchased, who have been redeemed, will say yes to that. Yes, God, I will. I desire to. It's my every desire to follow Jesus Christ and honor God with my body. Once again, John says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, there's the validation. God abides in you. And God's love is perfected in you because you cannot do that without God's help. I cannot do that without God's help. When I love one another, God is with me and God loves me. And John wants us to have that validation because he knows it's going to help us. And this world needs to see it. This world needs to see more love, less hate, less division. They need to see more examples of Jesus Christ. More examples of selflessness. More examples of sacrifice. More examples of waking up every day with the purpose and the agenda to help those in need. And sometimes we get lost. We get lost and we forget that one agenda, that one glaring agenda, that we should simply follow that glorious pattern of God. And John has reminded us to not get sidetracked. It's so simple, but it's so profound when you love one another as a theme and pattern of your life, you can be sure 
100% certain that God dwells within you and God's love is perfected in you. God's indwelling about us. Let's keep moving to God's connection to us. Now, you ever lost connection? <laughs> some of you know, I haven't brought it up in a little while, but some of you know that I liked this little device called a Blackberry for many years. And the reason I like it is because it has this very simple but very effective physical keyboard on the phone. And I knew that what I was typing was going to be exactly what I wanted to type. And most of you can type on screens, maybe no problem. Maybe you do have problems and don't care about it. But I was bothered by that. And so I tried to keep my Blackberry as long as I possibly could. I was willing to keep it another 10 years if I could. And maybe it was the North Country. I don't know what happened, but I brought my Blackberry up here and suddenly I couldn't make phone calls anymore. And I couldn't send texts anymore. I lost my connection. Now, as much as I like that little device, it would have been silly and foolish to keep carrying that around if I can't use it for the purpose it's intended, right? So I had to let it go. I had to bury it. That's not an actual picture, by the way. That would be super weird. I just found this on the internet. But I had to let it go because it lost its connection. It wasn't doing what it was intended to do. Well, sometimes losing connection is a nuisance, an inconvenience. And sometimes it's incredibly tragic. It depends on what connection it is, right? Now, if you're floating in the ocean because you've lost your connection to your boat, that's a loss of connection, right? And that's a big loss of connection. Or if you're in space untethered to your spaceship, um, you're now a satellite dish. And that's a, bad, that's a bad thing to happen because you've now lost your tether and your life is in danger. Sometimes it's a nuisance. Sometimes it's a very big thing when we lose connection. Well, John says in verse 14, we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. And notice this one little powerful word here. The. You change that to a Savior of the world, and suddenly there's many Saviors. Pick your, the Savior, whichever one you want. But when he says the Savior of the world, he's saying there is one exclusively. His name is Jesus Christ, and there is no other Savior. He's drawing a very distinct line there. And we've seen and testify that the Father has done that. That's a beautiful thing John is saying. And this question that we ask today is basically the question of all questions. This question that I'm about to ask you here is the question that if you answer this correctly, if you answer this according to the Word of God, then your life has changed. And if you answer it any other way than what the Word of God says, your life is also very, very different, only on a different side. So let's work through these, these questions very quickly, or these responses very quickly. Who is Jesus? And there's a lot of responses to this question. If you go on college campuses like I did, there are a lot of different opinions on who Jesus was. Let's just work through these because I believe these are some of the best options available to us. Who is Jesus? Well, you could say he didn't exist. He never was. There was no person named Jesus Christ. But that's problematic because most people, historians, even non-believers, claim that Jesus Christ of Nazareth was a real person. The documents and the facts around him are, are glaringly obvious. He was a man who came from Nazareth, lived in Galilee, was born in Bethlehem, and he did exist, and there's documented proof about that. So that one really doesn't work to say that Jesus never existed. What about this? He's a common man. He's just like every one of us here in this room. Jesus was simply common. Well, that couldn't be true as well, because Jesus did uncommon things and said uncommon things. He claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed to be the Christ. He did miracle after miracle after miracle. When he died on the cross, the sky went dark in the middle of the day. Three days later, 500 witnesses say he rose from the dead. That means he couldn't be a common man. 
because he didn't do common things. He didn't say common things. He could just be a rabbi or a teacher, just a teacher of Jews. Just like many of those teachers you had growing up, math, English, social studies, Jesus is just like one of those. But again, that couldn't be. Because Jesus separated himself from all other teachers by what he did and what he said. He couldn't just be a teacher. So that one doesn't really work either. How about a prophet like Elijah? He's like Elijah. Elijah was a prophet, a powerful man of God, did many powerful things, and Jesus was just another one like that. He was just like Elijah. But you have to understand, Elijah never claimed to be the son of God, did he? Elijah never claimed to be the Christ. Elijah never rose from the dead. Elijah never took the prophecies of the Old Testament and fulfilled them right before our eyes. So that doesn't work either. Some people wondered if he was John the Baptist, if they were the same person. You know, John the Baptist came and when he was in the wilderness and he saw the Christ, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then he had the privilege of actually baptizing Jesus Christ. And if you remember later on, John the Baptist sends his disciples to inquire more information about the Christ, to make sure that Jesus of Nazareth and the Christ were the same person. And he found out that they were, so John, he couldn't be John the Baptist. I think we're left with two other options. When someone says they're the Son of God, there's really two options. And C.S. Lewis wrote this in a book. He basically said this. He said, Jesus doesn't leave us any other option. When someone claims to be the Son of God and, and stands before you saying, I'm the Christ, and I came from heaven, and I've come to do the Father's will, and then he died, and three days later he was alive again, and then he said he ascended back to heaven, and then his disciples spread that message all over the universe. There really is two options for us, whether who Jesus is. He's either a madman and a blasphemer, and we should be as far away from him as possible. Because he's not common. He claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed to be the Christ. Or it's real. And John says, we have seen and testify that God has sent his son to be the savior of the world. And his name is Jesus. The validations are all over this world. The validations are all over our soul. And one of the best validations John already brought up is how do we know Jesus came? Because he changed my life. I was going this way at age 25 and then I encountered Jesus Christ. And I set my eyes on Jesus by faith. And Jesus changed my life. He changed my habits. He changed my practices. I had power from God. I was going one way, and the next day I was going a completely different direction. John says, you know, and you've seen. So he says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, not just a teacher, not just a moral man, but the Son of God sent from heaven, God abides in him. And he and God, and you notice how all of these things hold hands. He says, if you love one another, if you have the Holy Spirit, if you confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you must have God dwelling within you, and you must have God's perfect love in you. So we love one another, God's Spirit dwells within us, and we confess that Jesus is the Son of God. And they all hold hands with each other. It's a package deal. If those things are true about us as people, Number one, God dwells within us. Not even next to us, but his spirit resides within us. And we have his perfect love. That's much more profound than claiming you're a Christian is when you have the ability and the power and the desire to love one another that comes from the Holy Spirit within you, and you say, beyond a shadow of a doubt, Jesus is the Son of God, 
and I'll even die for that fact. God knows you, you know God, and on the last day, his kingdom doors will be open to you. Praise the Lord. But now John, has John contradicted himself? Have we seen God or not, John? Because you just told us two things that seem to be contradictory to one another. Have we seen God? Think about that question for a moment. Have we seen God? Because John said two things that sound a little opposite to one another. He says in verse 12, chapter and verse, 1 John 4, 12, no one has ever seen God. Nobody has ever laid eyes on God or his glory. Nobody. It comes right out of the truth of Scripture. And then in verse 14, he says, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. So have we seen God? Yes and no. I've never seen God physically. With my physical eyes, I've never set eyes on his glory. But have I seen God? I'll say it this way. Every day of my life, I see God. Every day of my life, I see Jesus. Every moment of my life, he helps me. His love is there. His power is there. His promises are there. Every moment in the mountaintops and in the valleys of life, Jesus Christ is with me. And I know him better than I know anyone in this room. So have I seen God? I have seen God. And I testify to it today that Jesus is the Savior of the world because he changed my life. And here's how we connect the two. When, Jesus, when John says, we haven't seen God, but we have seen God, in Hebrews chapter 1, the writer of Hebrews says, he, referring to Jesus, he's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of of his nature. Notice he doesn't say he's kind of like him or he's got some similarities to God. No, he says the, he's the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down where? At the right hand of the majesty on high. He came from God. He is exactly like God and he sits right next to God. Now, Jesus and God the Father are different persons. Now, my son Haddon is in the room. Haddon, wave your hand. Haddon and I are different people, but Haddon and I are very similar, aren't we, Haddon? We have similar interests. We look like each other. If you look at pictures from when I was back then, I look just like Haddon. I'm sorry, Haddon, but it's true. <laughs> You're going to look like Daddy, probably. Um, but Haddon is not the exact imprint of my nature. He's not. But if you ask me, is Haddon a walker? He'll say, yes, he is. If, I, if you say, am I a walker? Is Todd a walker? I will say, yes, I am. We are like each other, but we are different. Well, Jesus Christ is everything that God is. Did you know that? Everything. Every desire, every thought, every love, every goal, Jesus has the same as God does. He wants the same things. He fights for the same things. He is the same things. And so when he came to this earth, he came with everything that God is to show us what God is like. So the writer says he's the exact imprint of God. And this means that seeing Jesus, and not even physically, you don't have to see Jesus physically to see God. You simply see him with spiritual eyes of faith. And it's the same as seeing God. When you look at Jesus and when you notice Jesus and you recognize Jesus for the first time and you say, he's the Christ, he's the Son of God, guess what happens to your life? It changes. You run out of that grave. You live for brand new things. Your desires change. Your habits change. Everything about you changes because you've seen God. And he has changed your soul. And that spirit comes to live within us. Jesus said this. He said, I am 
the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is one door and one door alone to God the Father, and it is through the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And we confess that today, that there is no other Savior, there can be no other Savior than Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Oh. Well, looks like I just lost my connection. Josh, it happened again, buddy. Do you mind toggling it back and forth? Guys, talk amongst yourselves while we try to restore connection here. Yeah, do something up there, Josh. Sorry. Anybody have any good jokes? It'll just take a moment, guys. Just be patient with me. Did anybody fall for it? Who fell for it? Did I lose connection? No. You guys have a jokester as a pastor. I, was, I put Josh in on that joke. I didn't lose connection. Look. I just wanted you to think that I lost connection because we're talking about connection. The internet's fine. Don't, don't reset your phone or anything weird. <laughs> Sometimes you lose connection. It's a nuisance, isn't it? Sometimes you have to reset a router. Sometimes you have to turn your phone off and on. Sometimes you have to let your Blackberry go and get a normal phone. Sometimes you lose connection. It's absolutely tragic. John is bringing up this powerful, profound connection to God. And he's saying to us today, hold that line. Hold that tether. Hold that connection to God. You need that connection more than you need anything in this life. You can lose connections to technology. You can lose connections to people. And we do. You cannot lose connection to God. Losing connection to God would be eternally tragic. And John thinks it's important enough for us to know that we have connection to this God through Jesus now, I almost didn't put this up here because I know it's going to lengthen the sermon a little bit, but I think it's important because Jesus is the one who said this phrase, and I think it's beautiful. It's one of my most famous, uh, favorite passages in all of Scripture. In John 15, in verses 5 to 6, Jesus said this, and he's using a metaphor. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Now, he's not talking about physical vine and physical branches. He's talking about something spiritual. He says, I'm the vine. You're the branch. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Again, Scripture does not flatter, does it? It tells you the truth. It tells you exactly what you need to hear. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Because what do you do with dead, dried, useless branches. You have one option left. Fire tender. So he says, I'm the vine, you're the branch. If you want to bear much fruit and prove that you belong to God, you need to remain in me. Now the other day we went out walking as a family around the river and uh, I noticed this branch just lying there in the ground and I decided to snap a picture of it because it perfectly embodied what I was thinking about with this passage about this branch that has been disconnected from the tree just lying there in the grass. Now you can see things around the branch. There's grass and leaves and all kinds of things, but you notice the branch itself has nothing on it, does it? Because it's been disconnected from the tree. Now if I walk back there 24 hours later or a week later or a month later, should I expect to see oranges or grapes or any kind of fruit or leaf upon that tree? No. It's been disconnected from all of the resources, all of the nutrients, all of the life that branch has one purpose now. Unless you're a kid, then it has a thousand purposes. 
throw it in a fire or throw it in a lake. But it has no purpose anymore as far as fruit bearing goes. Oh, we shouldn't do this, but... But when a branch is connected to a vine, especially a fruit vine, a fruit tree, what can be growing on that, on that branch? Some delicious, glorious fruit that can bless our bodies, nourish our bodies. And that's what Jesus is talking about. When we stay connected to the vine, we have all kinds of potential. When we lose that connection, we have no possibility for anything good. He says this in verse, I believe this is verse 10. He says, if you keep my commandments... You will abide in my love. Now, that's right there when you want to hit the brakes. Because it sounds a little bit like we're earning something or keeping something, doesn't it? If there's another condition, and that's really what it is, you could use the word validation. But it's a condition or a validation. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And that's when you want to go, Jesus, your theology is bad. That's not what the word of God says, Jesus. That's not, that couldn't be Jesus. So that's when you want to say to Jesus, Jesus, you said that in a messy way. But it couldn't be because this is the Son of God, isn't it? He's perfectly righteous in all that he does, all that he says, and everything he gives us. So he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And I don't think he's saying, if you keep my commandments, I will attach you to my vine. I don't think that's what he's saying. If you keep my commandments, you have validation that you are in my love. And notice what he says after this, which really strengthens the statement. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Do you notice what Jesus doesn't say? I'm the Son of God. I can do whatever I want. And God has to love me. He's my Father. I'm his Son. No matter what I do, no matter what I say, he loves me. I love him. We're always together. That's not what Jesus says. He doesn't say, take my word from it. Word for it. I'm the Son of God. He says, I will give you the same equation that I have with my Father. I will give you the same connection to the Father that I have with the Father. When I came down to this earth, I came to do the Father's will. And I abide in his love by keeping his commandments. So when you look at Jesus Christ, how do you know that he belongs to God? He did what God said he should do. He did what the Christ was always prophesied to do. And Jesus says, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Do you notice what Jesus wants to give us? Full joy. His joy. To the max, pouring over, overflowing. He wants us to experience all the joy of knowing that that tether is secure. To God. Forever. So that we can live this life the way that we were always intended to live it. With joy, with peace, with confidence, with hope, and with a reckless abandon to do the will of God. Because we belong to God, He belongs to us. We've talked about this before. I'm not going to go through the same screen that I've done before where I show you the commandments of God. But I do want to emphasize this one. Because which commandments are Christians supposed to obey? Well, there's two overarching commandments. And really, you can boil them down to one because the scripture often does this. John says, no one has ever seen God if we keep the Ten Commandments, if we memorize the Bible, if we go to church without missing, if we make sure we sing all the right worship songs. No. If we love one another. 
My children can understand this. God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. If we love one another. It is so simple, but so incredibly profound. Because when you love God, you are most like Jesus. When you love others, you are most like Jesus. And when you're most like Jesus, you can validate that you belong to him and he belongs to you. Hebrews also says in Hebrews 6.19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. One of the most beautiful verses in all of scripture. A hope both sure and steadfast. Don't you need an anchor for your soul? I need an anchor for my soul. My soul, just like yours, is frail and fragile and prone to wander. If it was left up to me, I would not be tethered right now. But John says, hey, there's one tether. It's love. There's one tether to God, and it's love one another. When you're loving one another, you know that that tether is connected. But the tether is not the anchor, is it? The anchor is someone different. The anchor is anchored to God. And what's his name? Jesus. And once you're tethered to that anchor, you are tethered for the rest of eternity. Your boat may jostle a little bit. Water may splash in from time to time. But your boat will never be moved from its source. Because you have been tethered to the Son of God who is perfectly tethered to God the Father in heaven. And so when we, when the curtain is pulled back one day and God is there and we are there, that tether is secure and steadfast just like it is now. We belong to Him and He belongs to us. And it's all because we can validate it that we love one another. How does Jesus know that He's tethered to God? Because he loved one another. And that's what John is telling us. And that's important. Now we need to race through this because we've lingered in our time. But God's expectation of us, we've left one verse for this last point before we close. You guys know what a cause and effect is, right? Cause and effect. It's, it's an action or event that occurs and then an action or event that results from that cause. It's very simple. Very simple equation. Now I'm a pastor. <laughs> Who else has been a pastor? Let's see some pastor hands. I know there's one down here. Um, maybe you've heard this before, but pastors need thick skin. You do need thick skin to be a pastor because when you're a pastor, you will get a lot of this kind of thing. Now, not in this church. Other churches. I mean, other pastors in other churches. Never this church. It's a cause and effect. You become a pastor, you get complaints. But in all honesty, this is how I really look. And it's true. It's true. On most days, on 95, 98% of the time, this is how it feels to be a pastor. And that's true. That's also a cause and effect. God has called me to serve him, and my joy is overflowing because of that calling. Well, John's going to leave us with a cause and effect. In verse 16, he says, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Do you believe the love God has for you? Do you believe it? Do you know it? You know it as close as you know anything in this world that God loves me and I love God because God is love. You can't know love without knowing God. You can't know God without knowing love. The two are interchangeable. So he says, whoever, notice it again, abides in love or tethered to love, abides in God and God abides in him. There's a cause and effect. If you say you're of God, you will abide in love. 
because that's what God is. And this is God telling us. God wants us forever. He displayed his love. He sent his son, Jesus Christ. And you have to understand, God was not going to waste that sacrifice. He does not send Jesus Christ with the potential of salvation or the hope that some people might turn to him. When God sends Jesus Christ, he sends the anchor. And as soon as you're tethered to the anchor, you are tethered to God for the rest of eternity. And that is a beautiful truth to know, and that's what he's telling us today. But that cause should have an effect, a very profound effect. We've learned that God's spirit dwells within us. That is a gift of love. We've learned that we are anchored eternally to God's love through Jesus. That is a gift of love. We've learned that God is love. Class, the result will be to walk in... What do you think of my hearts, by the way? Four weeks. Took me four weeks. The result will be we walk in love. It better be. It better be. If we claim all of these things but we don't walk in love, John would say it cannot be true. It can't be true. We know that we have God's spirit within us when we walk in love. We know that we are anchored eternally to God's love through Jesus when we walk in love. God is love and that God and that love are eternally ours when we walk in love. We have the validation of validations. God is love and we walk in love. That tether is secure. The world wants to tell you a different story, right? It's all self-help. It's all, you're great, you can do this, you're strong, you're powerful, you're beautiful, it all depends upon me. The world is lost, guys. They want to flatter us, they want to make us feel better, they want to make themselves feel better because they don't like the stinging truth that we were dead in our sins. But the flip side of that story is the most beautiful story that's ever been told. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. It's not true. The world, sadly, has lost their connection. Some of us in this room may have lost our connection. We may be here today learning, curious, but not tethered to God, or we don't have the validation that we see that God is in our lives, and we can see it because we strive and desire to love one another as a practice and theme of our life. And we need to remember that there's one tether, it's love, and there's one anchor, it's Jesus Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. If you find me, I wish I could draw an anchor, but I can't. <laughs> you find the anchor. You find the anchor. You are secure forevermore as long as this validation is there. You love one another. You can validate it. You can wear the cross. You can put the Jesus fish in your car. Of course, go to church. That stuff's important. But it's not important like this validation of seeing the same things in my life that Jesus had in his. That is beyond a shadow of a doubt that I belong to God and he belongs to me. Guys, that's why God wants us to have that validation. That's why he commands us all the time, love one another. Yes, it's for your neighbor. Yes, it's for their benefit. But it's also for our benefit. Because when we love, we are like God. And how can we be like God if we're dead in our sins? And the answer is, we cannot. The only way is if we're alive. It's a sign of life. 
So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Do you believe Jesus is worthy of your love? I know we want his love. If I pulled everyone in the room, everyone would say they want to be loved by God. But is he worthy of our love? Does he get what he gave to us? And that's the two-way street we've been talking about. And I have to mention this verse before we close because I think it's one of the most powerful verses of what John is bringing up here at the end. He says, the love of Christ, what does it do? It controls, it constrains, it compels us. Because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Have you made that decision yet? Jesus, my life is yours. You died for me. You gave me your love. You're my anchor. I'm secure to God forevermore. And my life is yours, Jesus. My actions are yours, Jesus. My gifts and abilities are yours. My money is yours. This time is yours. It's all yours, Jesus. I'm tired of living for myself. I want to love you. The series through 1 John is for his glory, for our benefit. See, God is glorified when we say yes to living for the very thing he created us for. Do you know that's why we were created? Love wasn't thought about somewhere along the Old Testament or the New Testament going, hey, that's a really good idea. Let's make them love one another. That was the beginning of the world. That was the beginning. The foundations of the world were based on God's love. So when we say yes to this pattern, we are saying yes to doing the thing God created us for, and that glorifies God. But we are benefited when we know without fail, and it really is without fail, that we are safely tucked inside of the eternal love of God. I need that. I hope you need that. I need to be able to lay my head on the pillow at night knowing that no matter what happens tonight or tomorrow, I'm with God and he's with me. I may not have people's love, but I will always have the love of God forevermore because I belong to Jesus. What's the point of today's lesson? It's very simple. When God commands us to abide in his love, he's not stealing our joy like the devil wants us to say. He's taking you away from all the joy of this world. No, that's a lie, devil. He's trying to grant us joy. He's trying to grant us peace and joy and security that comes from being in his love forever. God is trying to give us the greatest gift of all time because when we love, we get all of these things. Our only job is simple, and it's very, very simple on purpose because God knows we're sheep and we need one specific thing to focus upon because we're sheep. Our only job is to follow Jesus' glorious pattern of love and faithfulness to God. It's that simple. Every day, say the same thing over and over and over. Follow Jesus, love one another. Follow Jesus, love one another. Follow Jesus, love one another. That message is coming from us right now, from God, to our souls. And when we do, we have a hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure, sure, sure and steadfast, and that is a gift of God. And I don't know how God spoke to you today, but this lesson was powerful for me this week as I remembered that life is going to be turbulent. Life is turbulent. There's losses, there's gains. There's friends, there's loneliness. There's hurts, and there's mountaintops. And it's like a roller coaster. 
But I don't want my joy based on the ups and downs of life. I don't want my hopes based on the ups and downs of life. I don't want my security based on the fact that I am something. I want my security based on the fact that I am anchored to God. And that, that tether is God's love and that anchor is Jesus Christ. And I hope that's helpful to you today. If you're in this room today and you aren't anchored, you don't know that you're anchored to God through Jesus, today's the day to make sure of that. And it's very, very easy. Set your eyes on Jesus and say, you are the Savior and I need you. And from that moment on, your life will change and love will be the greatest pattern of your life. Can we bow and pray? Father, you've spoken to my soul, even today, Father, as a reminder um, that I need you. Every hour I need you. Remind us of that love today, Father. Remind us that this world is abrasive and harsh and lost and dark. And we shouldn't expect to find our treasures from a dark, lost world. Father, all our treasures come from you. Help us to see Jesus today, to remember his love. But Father, also to get out there and reveal this pattern of love to the world by showing them there's a God out there who's alive and vibrant and he wants his people back. Father, let us display that love to that dark world around us for your glory and for our benefit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.